holds the dear pants for the water so my soul longs after you you alone are my heart's desire and i long to worship you you alone are my strength my shield to you alone may my spirit yield you alone are my heart's desire and i long to worship you you're my friend and you are my brother even though you are a king i love you more than any other so much more than anything you alone are my strength my shield to you alone may my spirit yield you alone are my heart's desire and i long to worship you i want you more than gold or silver only you can satisfy you alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye you alone are my strength my shield to you alone may my spirit yield you alone are my heart's desire and i long to worship you In this journey, in this journey towards Jerusalem with Jesus as we head towards the cross. In and out of this journey, we have been weaving our way at most of the time or much of the time during this journey through the Gospel of Mark. And um, as, I, as I said last week, these are the passages, these are what I call the Jesus meddling passages. You know, as he gets closer to the cross and he gets closer to the end of his ministry, he, he starts in these teachings that just start to kind of stir us up a little bit. So, like I said, blame Jesus, not me, all right? Um, but part of that is, is because of his love. Because he loves us and wants the best for us. And today's passage is another example of that. So I'm going to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark once again. Mark chapter 10 starting at verse 17. And would you stand for the reading of the gospel this morning? Mark 10, starting at 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why Jesus. do you call... That's okay. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adul adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, and you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciple, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. I don't know how many of you might remember the old 1960s series, The Twilight Zone. Now, it, uh, it first came on television before, well, before my time, before I was born. Now, some of you are laughing at that. Will, thank you. Will has shoes older than I am, uh, you know. But that doesn't mean I didn't watch it in the, in the uh, I don't know if you do or not, Will. I, I don't know. <laughs> Confession is good for the soul, Will. So, um, But I got to watch it growing up in the reruns that were on. And, and you know, as you watch it as a kid, it was kind of a, it's kind of a weird, creepy, scary thing for a kid sometimes. At the same time, that's what kind of draws you in, you know. It's kind of a bizarre, humorous, creative. The show was was not just entertaining, but um, and often the stories had a point, and the point was a good teaching. One of the episodes was called uh, A Nice Place to Visit. It's a story of a thief named Rocky Valentine who is shot in the middle of a police robber, or shot by the police in the middle of a robbery, and he wakes up, and when he wakes up, he is in this beautiful place, this beautiful penthouse filled with, with uh, perfectly fitting, expensive clothes, and he opens up the drawers, and it's just full of more money than he's ever seen, and, and, and women who can't, can't keep their eyes off of him, and, and he goes to the casino, and he gambles, and you know when he gambles, he wins every single time. Everything is so perfect in his life. He concludes that he has died and gone to heaven. Within about a month, though, Mr. Valentine is bored out of his mind, and he realizes that having everything he ever wanted really isn't as exciting as he thought it would be. In fact, it's not paradise. After a time, it begins to feel like torture. He realizes that all the things have no value. At the very end of the episode, he's really quite tortured now, and, and, he, and he comes to this moment, and he cries out to the angel who he, who he thinks is, is in charge of the place. He says, I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand being in heaven You've got to send me to the other place. I, I, I belong in the other place. And the angel looks at him and says, Mr. Valentine, you are in the other place. For it's a commonly held belief that, that our stuff 
the stuff of life is what makes us really have value and feel alive. It's not a new phenomenon. The scripture today, this rich man comes and kneels before Jesus, and right away when you're reading that, the red flag should go up, because especially in Jesus' day, for a rich man to kneel, to kneel before this itinerant, poor preacher was totally outside of the bounds of society. And so for him to kneel, this, this gesture, it took a lot for this man. He clearly thought a lot of Jesus. He kneels down and he addresses Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I don't know all that he's really asking. We assume that he's asking about um, life after death, of heaven, of the kingdom, but, but what we do know is that Jesus doesn't just offer life after death, he offers life before death. Jesus is in the business of not just eternal life, he's in the business of abundant life. The man seems respectful of Jesus. So respectful, he gives him a little bit of flattery. Jesus uh, says, well, why do you call me good? There's no one good except for God. And then Jesus goes on to describe the, the laws and commandments, and he, and he makes a list, and he, and he walks through them. So far, so good. Jesus is essentially saying, just, you know, you know, uh, follow through with, with these. And, and uh, I mean, they're all good things, right? I mean, we, we're against uh, murder. We're against stealing. We're, we're against lying most of the time. Um, we, um, we're for honoring your father and mother. Well, really, we're for our kids honoring us if we're a father and mother, but these are good things, and so, so far, so good. And, and the man says to him, he says, Jesus, I, I've already done that. These, these, I've done these things. He's respectful and pious, and he genuinely wants to do the right thing. I, I think sometimes he gets a bad rap, that he comes with bad motives. But I don't think the motives are bad at all. I think Jesus gives us the clue. The scripture, the scripture gives us the clue about him because it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Do you know that there's no other place in the Gospel of Mark where it says that Jesus loved somebody? But Jesus looked at him and said that he loved him. This man comes to Jesus, and I think he is deeply interested in what Jesus has to offer. He has kept God's law, and, and, and Jesus instinctively cares for this man. I mean, this must have been a nice thing. It must have been too good to be true. I mean, if this guy was to come and, and he wants to join up with the ministry of Jesus or he wants to come and join the church, I mean, he's sincere, he's respectful, he's seeking God, he's got, he's got wealth to, to help further the ministry, and yet, yet despite all of his attention to the law, something's not right. And I think for years I read this passage that it was Jesus who really illuminated that, that something was not right with him. But, but I, I have come to believe that I, I think it starts with the man. The man came because he knew he was missing something. He, he already knew that, that following and checking off the boxes wasn't doing it. He already had some kind of barrier that he would come and, and, and respected Jesus so much and said, I, what, what must I do? Something was blocking his ability to fully live into what I think God's calling for his life must have been. And this is where Jesus, this is where Jesus gets very disorienting. Jesus tells him what he must do, and, and he tells him not in anger and not in a condescending kind of way, because I want you to remember, Jesus, Mark tells us, Jesus loves this guy. And when you love somebody, you want the best for them. 
And so when, when, he's, when he's offering him what to do, he, he's telling him in love. He, he loves this guy, and he tells him what he should do. You lack one thing. Sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Now, often I think it's good to try to put ourselves in the place of Scripture. Can you imagine having that conversation with Jesus today? Can you imagine if Jesus came to you and, and that's what he asked you to do? I mean, can we fathom, fathom the possibility? It seems absurd. If we sold everything, we'd be homeless. If we were on the street, how are we going to help anyone? It doesn't make any sense, Jesus. It's a radical demand. But if you think about it, it's no more radical than what Jesus has asked us to do over the last few chapters. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about Jesus who says, if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to become the least of these. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. You've got to pick up your cross and follow. See, Jesus has a pattern of meddling in the comfort of our life. Then Jesus goes on to say, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we tell ourselves when we read that passage, we think, well, you know, that's obviously because the guy's struggling with that, and this is just his particular Achilles heel. It's it's not mine. But, But then Jesus goes on, and we get a clue that he wasn't just talking to that man in particular. He's talking in general because he says it is an impossibility for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus' words are disorienting. Now, we can buy the part about keeping the commandments. That seems pretty boilerplate kind of response for Jesus. But, but here, even, even for Jesus, this seems to be going too far. And if anyone ever tells you that the Bible says what it means and means what it says, and you don't need to interpret it, just do what it says, take them to this passage. Because this passage is one of the many that, that are disorienting, and we have to unpack a little bit. And, because generally, we'll try to either decide it doesn't apply to us or just gloss over it in some other kind of way. There are a few early Greek manuscripts that have the word rope instead of camel. There is one letter difference in the Greek between the word, ro- between the word camel and the word rope that refers to, to tying up a boat. And so it is thought that some of those early scribes, as they read through those, those early manuscripts, looked at that and said, seriously, a camel? He couldn't have meant a camel. That doesn't make any sense. It's just one letter different from rope. And so... They changed it. It's just a few of those manuscripts trying to make sense of what didn't make sense. Then there's the interpretation of, of, uh, of some folks who've said that it refers to the gate, a gate called the, the needle gate at the temple, very narrow gate with a, with a little door in it that if the camel was to, was to do the limbo really well and to get down just right and to turn just right, there was a possibility that maybe the camel could make it through the gate. The problem is that that interpretation wasn't offered until the Middle Ages, So I'm not sure that that's what Jesus' original followers were thinking about. It's kind of like you're trying to come up with a claim, like maybe the modern-day claim. You know, Jesus Jesus wasn't talking about an animal at all. He's actually talking about camel cigarettes, maybe. The point is this. When you need an excuse, any excuse will do. When you're looking for a loophole, when when we come across a tough teaching, we're, we're looking for some way through it, and we want a way out, and we... The easiest way out for me in this passage has always been, I think I've shared this with you before when I've taught on this passage, I, the easiest way for this passage for me was growing up was to just, to just read it and just get to that point and realize, and look around and go, oh, my family's not rich. 
next chapter. Um, I don't even have to deal with that, you know? I mean, we look at athletes and celebrities and CEOs who make millions of dollars, and we realize that we're, we're not in that camp. We're not a part of that group. But if, if, if that's where we land, let me tell you, we are deluding ourselves. For in our world today, if you live with heat and you live with access to running clean water and you have two changes of clothes and you know today you will get something to eat, then you are rich by the standard of the world. You can uh, Google or go to a website called the Global Rich List. It's a pretty interesting site that uh, you can put in your own income and see where you stand up against the rest of the world. And, and there's all kinds of things about how many hours you have to work. I mean, just some interesting statistics. But the big one on top tells you what percentage you fall into of wealth in the world. I did that. I'm in the top 1%. If you make $32,000, if your home income is $32,000 or greater, you're in the top 1% of the world. If your home income is $25,000 or greater, you're in the top 2%. If your home income is $20,000 or greater, you're in the top 3%. Every person in this room is among the elite wealthy of the globe. And we can try to weasel out of that statement by finding various loopholes of Jesus, but I'm not sure how it really works if we're honest with ourselves. What must we do? To inherit eternal life. If we're wealthy, we've got to do something like put a camel through the head of a needle. But you know, it wouldn't matter if those ancient scribes, if they had gotten it right and it was a rope, it wouldn't work any better. It wouldn't matter if it was a, uh, an unfiltered camel cigarette or a can of ham. It's just impossible to do. Set that aside for a moment. Let's step back. I want to look back at what Jesus was talking about when he listed off the commandments. There's, it's interesting to me that so often when we list off the commandments, the commandment that gets lifted, listed off is, is do not covet. That's not the one he lists off. He says, you shall not defraud. For a rich man, defrauding someone might be of greater temptation than coveting. Many in the ancient world especially accumulated their wealth through exploiting, abusing, and defrauding. Now, we don't think that's the case with this man, but... But his family, he comes from a wealthy family, maybe somewhere along the way, that's how their wealth was built, and he inherited his wealth, which is an interesting thought to me because that's what he wants to have happen with his eternity. He wants to inherit it. And he asked this question that makes no sense at all. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. He asked this question that makes no sense. What must I do to inherit Inherit has never been about what you do. Inherit has been about to whom you belong. We can't do anything to gain eternal life. We are the rich man trying to get the camel pushed through the needle, and it's not working. And Jesus says, for mortals it's impossible, but for God, all things are possible. I love the story of the, of the guy who dies and goes to heaven. This is not a first-hand account. I just heard the story from someone. I thought, I'll let that sink in. But um, guy dies and goes to heaven, and he's standing at the pearly gates, and they're closed. I, I kind of picture them closed when you show up. And, 
and uh, they're closed there, and he comes up to St. Peter, and St. Peter says, oh, welcome, great to have you here, and, and uh, now we're working on the point system, let's see if, let's see if you're in. Man's a little nervous about it, but he says, okay. I mean, he's pretty confident in, his, in himself. And he says, okay, well, um, I was a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene for 50 years. Gave my life to the church. Peter says, oh, that is so awesome of you. That's 100 points. And he says, 100 points? I mean, wow. He says, well, I was married for 55 years. My wife and I had four kids. One's a teacher, one's a missionary, one's a doctor, and, uh, and the last one's a pastor. And Peter said, man, that's awesome. So good of you. Better than most. That's 100 points. Well, he started to get a little nervous. His list, he doesn't have that much more on his list, you know. He says, well, I was a member of Rotary, and, uh, and we gave to the community. He said, oh, that's excellent. 75 points. He says, oh, I, I don't... I, I don't smoke or drink or cuss or anything like that. And Peter says, well, that's, that's wonderful. 50 points. And now he's really starting to sweat. And under his breath, he says, if I get in at all, it'll be by the grace of God. Grace of God, Peter shouts. 10,000 points. You're in. And I think that's the real point Jesus is making. Eternal life, the kingdom of God, is not about what we do. It's about what God does. It is about God's unmerited favor in our lives. Jesus' words to the rich man were hyperbole. Hyperbole with maybe a little bit of sarcasm because the man's asking the wrong question. And Jesus' answer points it out. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to earn God's favor? Wrong question. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't borrow it. You can't steal it. Eternal life is God's pure grace and gift. We've got to be careful with that. It is easy to, to find a loophole and try to abuse that grace, to think I don't have to listen to the teachings of Jesus, to find another loophole, but, but God's grace gives anyway, even in the midst of those who abuse it. Eternal life, abundant life, Life worth living in the here and the now. It's God's gift, but there is a way you can miss it. There is a way you can totally miss it. It's simply by not accepting it. It's simply by, by having your hands so held tightly to something else that is the priority of your life and to not accept this gift that God has given See, I think the rich man was clinging so tightly to his possessions that he couldn't accept the best that Jesus had to offer him. And I wonder if, time, if at times the truth is, is the same for us. To those of us who sit among the most elite in the world, I wonder at times if we seriously have considered if the things that we hold in our hands keep us from being all who God has called us to be. Mark Twain once said, the man who holds four aces never calls for a redeal. And as I watch the gospel of Christ expanding around the globe more rapidly than at any other time in history, where I see it expanding the greatest is in the places with the least amount of resources. And I wonder. You may remember that Jesus didn't just ask him to sell his possessions. He said, 
follow me. See, the problem was not his possessions. I don't think that was ever the problem. The problem was that his possessions kept him from following. And so we asked the question, what, what must we do? Jesus says, follow me. Follow me and step in my footsteps. Go the places that I go. Go to the people that I would go to. Lift out your hands and your feet and, and be the representative of who I am to the people in your life. Simon, Andrew, James, John, they left their nets. They left their careers as fishermen and followed Jesus. Levi left his, his tax booth and, and uh, followed Jesus. The man was asked to leave that which he held tightly and follow Jesus. And I guess as we think about this journey, as we head towards Easter, and we're asking ourselves the question, how are we doing in our relationship with the God who sent Jesus for our life? I guess the question that comes to me, the question that comes to us is, is there something that we are holding on to so tightly that it keeps us from closely following the Jesus who says, follow me? Are we holding on to something so tightly that, that we might just say we're not even really following? Or, or are we holding on to something so tightly that says, well, I'm following, but I've got this big thing I'm carrying with me, and it just stands in the way of really following in the footsteps of where Jesus would call me to be. We're clinging maybe to old ways of thinking or doing or, or holding tightly too, too tightly to your reputation or our power or our need for control. Like the man in the story, it might even be our attachment to our possessions. I wonder, what is it that we hold on to more tightly than him? Or, or what is it that while we're following him, we just drag along with us? And it slows us to really be one who lives in to the will of God in our lives. In the Twilight Zone, Rocky Valentine learns that in the end, the self-centered life is no way to live. Jesus calls us to a better way. He invites us to an abundant life. He promises us an eternal life. And he says, come and follow me. And that come and follow me means, what do I need to lay down to be all he's called me to be? I wanted to close our time this morning as as this is kind of we've done two or three times in this journey towards Easter. And really, really, I'm just looking at our teaching and sermon time as a time that reflects where we are in our relationship with God as we, as we head into Easter. So that when we get there, we, we, might be, um, we might be walking closer to him than we ever have in our lives. I wanted to close our time this morning by just inviting God's Holy Spirit to just speak in the quietness of our prayer life for a moment that maybe there might be somebody here today who you would just admit, I, I'm not following Jesus. I've got my hands full of other stuff, or maybe, maybe I've never followed him. But I've tried all the, the checking of the box things. You understand that one of the things that Jesus was trying to teach the man was the checking of the boxes aren't what we're after. The checking of the boxes of how we live, that's not how we get to God. By following the law is an outflow 
of being with God. It's not that we're trying to earn it by checking the boxes, but the way we live is a testimony to the God who is changing us. Day by day and moment by moment, looking better than we did yesterday. And God help me, I need that. To be more who he's called me to be. And yet I am my biggest enemy. I hold on to these things. And Jesus daily says, come, follow me. I wonder if there'd be somebody here today who says, well, I'm following. But I'm dragging all this other stuff with me. My hands are kind of full. Maybe one hand. And you just need to come to a point today that says, if I'm really going to be all that God has called me to be, if I'm really going to live into the life he's called me to be, both abundant life and eternal life, then I need to hold on to Jesus tighter than anything else I'm holding on to. Or I've put my faith in this, or I'm hanging on to this, and I need to hold on to Jesus. And that's a decision, you know what, that's a decision i got to make every morning of my life. But I wonder, as the Spirit speaks to you today, how would you answer this question? What are you holding on to? That's keeping you from being all that Jesus calls you to be. Would you take a minute and let God's Spirit speak to you? Father, in this journey towards Easter, we have been, these last weeks, we've been been examining our own life. Are we living into your best? Are we living into to your calling for our life, the potential that you've given us? be your hands and feet, the representatives of the kingdom. And so, Lord, today we hear from your spirit, and, and that there might be one who confesses today, I've not been following you, but I want to leave behind what I hold on to and follow. And to pray for the forgiveness forgiveness of sin that is so hmm, is so powerful without without the power of Jesus so there'd be one that prays that way today then father I would just pray that they would be able to lay down that and accept the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ in their life or the one who would say today I've known Jesus it's just I'm not 
doing very good at following. Or the one who would say today, I've been holding on to an attitude or a habit. I've been holding on to a relationship or a, a sin that's, that's really not letting me be all the follower that Jesus calls me to be. Or maybe the one who says today, Lord, I, I've been following you, but I've been, I've been holding on to some stuff that haven't made you the priority. Good stuff sometimes. Good things. And yet I've been holding on to it tighter. I've been holding on to my way. And Father, we want, we want to lay that down too. And just because we lay something down doesn't mean that we don't get to pick it up again, but, but we want to make sure that what we hold tightly to is you. So help us, God, today to make that choice. We turn our hands over. We open them up and we just lay down what we've been carrying. And Father, we reach our hands out to you with palms up and we grab onto you, the God who created and who loves us and who wants to journey with us and who, like, like the rich ruler, who loves us, who wants the best for us, who calls us into a life that he's designed to be better than we could ever do on our own. God, we're thankful for that. Thanks for the reminder again that you have higher hopes for us than we have for ourselves. You have higher dreams and beliefs for the kingdom of God than we could imagine. Help us to hold on to you, we pray. Help us to walk with you this week and to be your hands and feet and wherever you call us to go, that the kingdom of God that we experience in this room becomes the kingdom of this world in the places where we live. We hold on tightly to you. Go with us in grace. May our peace be yours and may we have your joy. Because once again, we've taken a step further in being the kingdom people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the Father bless you as you go.